you brought your Bible with you this morning, go with me, please, to the book of Ephesians. Maybe we should do like a practice week with that shorter message thing. I felt a lot of people just want to like shout amen, but then you sort of like held it back because you weren't sure. Good call. Don't do that. We don't want to go too long. We don't want to go too short. We want to just say what the Lord once said. Ephesians chapter two. Thank you, Father. Lord, we thank you for your word today. We open up our eyes, our ears, and our hearts to see, hear, and receive good things from you and from your word in Jesus' name. Ephesians chapter two, just begin in verse one. He said, and you, he made alive. Why do he have to make you alive? Because you were dead. You, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, listen to this statement, just as the others. Just as the others. In other words, there was nothing different about you. There was nothing different about me. He said, we were de dead, but he's made us alive. And the way we used to live, you're going, well, I thought we were dead. How'd we live? No, we were, we were dead. We were dead men walking. That's who and what we were. And the way we lived looked just like everyone else in this world. Nothing different about us, nothing different about the way we thought, nothing different about the way we talked, nothing different about the way we walked. We lived just like other people. But now there's a difference. He said, you, he's made alive who were dead. You know, we talk so much about the resurrection of Jesus and that's right and it's good that we do, but he's not the only one who got up. He's not the only one who was raised. You were I was. The Bible says, and it's right here in the book of Ephesians, we were crucified together with him. We were buried together with him. And we were risen together with him. But then it didn't even stop there. It says we have been seated together with him. Come on, this is good news this morning. I saw somebody post a comment not long ago on something, and it was... It was in criticism and, and wanting to kind of start a fight and argument and said, I have yet to see one documented proof or evidence of the dead being raised. And they were saying it like, you show me that and I'll believe, right? And this may not be the answer they're looking for, but I got a room full of proof in here this morning. This is a room full of people who were dead. I <laughs> mean, I don't know if you're hearing me quite right. You, we were dead. This, this whole, this whole book, this, this whole message, it's not just about Jesus resurrection. It's about yours. You got up. You were on that cross with him. You went into the grave. You went into hell and you got up with him. And you're thinking, well, I don't really remember that happening. So you don't understand the power of his substitution. Heaven records it because you believed that he did it. 
heaven records it that you did, that the price for you has been paid. We got up. We've been raised together with him and made to sit together with him in heavenly places. Thank God. It says in verse four, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Now listen, by grace, you have been saved. Say that last statement with me. By grace, you have been saved and raised up. In other words, by grace, you've been raised and you have, or by grace, you've been saved and by grace, you've been raised up together and made uh, sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Verse eight, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. By grace, you've been saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. People talk about being saved and they make this statement, I've been saved by grace. Maybe you've said it, I've said it. I know you've heard it said, I've been saved by grace. But if you stop and think about it, that's an incomplete thought. It's true, but it's not the whole truth. I've been saved by grace. What is grace? A lot's been said about grace. A lot's been said about grace for a long time. I mean, we're reading about it now and these letters were written a long time ago. But a lot's been said about it in the last number of years. Is there anybody in here that would raise a hand and say, you've heard some, you've heard some teaching and some preaching in the last few years, on, uh, specifically on the grace of God. I like the way my grandfather said it a few years ago. He said, it's like God has, has shined the big light on grace. I've heard a lot of it too. And I got to tell you, I like it. I like it. Now, I know there's a lot of people uh, that, that find themselves critical of messages and critical of preachers. But people have been doing that since Jesus, you know. But the Bible has a lot to say about the grace of God. What is the grace of God? Well, we see here it's what saved us. It's what saved us. The grace is what saved us. And thank God for it. And I don't know if you've... Um, Spent much time listening to some teaching and some preaching on it. Maybe you've heard a little, maybe you've heard a lot. I like to do this test sometimes with people. Um, and, and you can play along with me if you want to. If you've got a pen or a piece of paper or even use your phone or something, I want to do a quick little game here. Just take a minute and think of your favorite grace preacher. Now, somebody, you, somebody that comes to mind, when somebody starts talking about grace or the grace message, who do you think of? Don't say it out loud. Just who do you think of 
somebody that's just kind of known for it, right? Somebody that is kind of like a, a definitive preacher, if you will, of grace. Um, somebody who's had great impact or something you know, like that around the world and the message is kind of spread. I mean, if you've heard much or you've been in, in these circles a while, there's probably a name, at least a name or two that comes to your mind. I want you just to write that down. Don't let your neighbor look, no peeking. And then right next to it, I want you to think of your favorite faith preacher. Your favorite faith preacher. I mean, somebody who's just known the world over for preaching faith. I can think of a few. Somebody who just comes to mind when you hear the word faith or word of faith or preaching faith or walking, talking, fighting by faith. Who is it that comes to your mind when you think faith preacher? Like that guy, that girl, that is definitively faith. This one's definitively grace. This one's definitively faith. Now, if you can't think of anybody, it's fine. There's, I'm not collecting these. There'll be no grades. You got someone though? Is, is, is most people playing along? Now, look at what you wrote down. Look at the names you wrote. And if you wrote any other name than Jesus for either one of them, you're wrong. You hear me? If you wrote any other name for your favorite grace preacher, then Jesus is the wrong name. If you wrote any other name than the name of Jesus for your favorite Faith preacher, guess what? Thanks for playing, but it was the wrong name. Survey says, eh. The reason I say this is because we do this far too easily. We let other people bring definition to something that only Jesus was supposed to. We let somebody else define a word that only he is and only he can. Are we saved by grace? Let me ask you, are we saved by grace? Yes, but that's not the whole statement. We're saved, how? By grace, through faith. And the reason I have you do this with these grace preachers and faith preachers, because if it wasn't so demonic, it'd be kind of funny the way the devil tries to get in between us. When I say us, I'm talking about family here, groups of people. I mean, we're all part of the body of Christ, but he does so much. He, he works with such an effort to get between people and bring division between people. And a number of years ago, when, when like my grandfather said, that big light got shined on the grace of God, I remember a lot of faith people going, I don't like it. I don't like it. Uh-uh. Greasy grace, right? And you're just giving people a license to sin. You know, they accused my grandfather, Brother Copeland, of that decades ago. And you know what he said? He said, you've been sinning without a license. You didn't need a license. But you notice there's division, right? And there's this animosity between the two. Well, I'm, I'm a grace person. Wow, well, I'm a, I'm a faith person. Guess what? We're nothing without each other nothing without each other. We're saved by grace. Yes, but it's not just by grace. If it was just grace, 
every person would be saved. All of us, the entire world. From the time Jesus shed his blood and was raised from the dead, if it was just grace, everybody would be saved. But it's not just grace. We're saved by grace through faith. So the ones that are saved, the ones that are born again, are the ones that heard grace, saw grace, and said something in return, responded to it. It's by grace, but it's through faith. So I don't want you, as we get into this, to get up tight either way. I have felt it in church services before. Being in a so-called faith group, and someone starts talking about grace and everybody just gets all nervous and tight. It's like, oh dear God, what are they going to say? What are they going to say? Just, just relax. Just relax. Well, I heard that guy preach on grace and I know that wasn't right. Well, guess what? Nobody's right about everything, including you, <laughs> including me. We need each other because if it weren't for the grace of God, faith family, there'd be nothing to have faith in there'd be nothing to have faith for. And that's why if you are a quote unquote faith person without a revelation of what grace has done, it's nothing but spiritual arrogance and pride to say, I'll get it on my faith. Faith in what? Faith in what? If you don't know what grace has done, there is nothing to have faith in. There is nothing to have faith for. But right on the other hand, you could hear all about what grace is, all about what grace has accomplished, all about what grace has given. And if you don't have faith, there'll be none of it in your life. See, we need each other. We need each other because it's by grace through faith. By grace, you are saved through faith. I'm stirred up again this morning just about the simplicity of the grace of God. When you start talking grace, there's no end to it. We, can't, we couldn't say it all this morning. We couldn't say it all if we didn't stop talking from now until Jesus came back. This is one of the biggest things you and I could talk about, what his grace has accomplished, what his grace has done in our lives and, and, and who grace is. It's Jesus, it's Jesus, it's Jesus. And I like to say it like this, God who is love gave you Jesus who is grace. And when you put your faith in him, he becomes your hope for the future. You see all these things working together? Love and grace and faith and hope. The grace of God, such a big word, such a big thing. I mean, it's the gospel. It's the gospel. And we just read the entire gospel in a few verses. You were dead. You and I were dead, dead spiritually, dead in our sin, dead in our trespasses, but he's made us alive together. Grace did that. Somebody say it, that's grace. When you were dead and he, and he raised you up, that's grace, right? You lived just like everybody else in this world. But Jesus, when he came into your life and he filled up your heart, he, he, he made you different and, and gave you a, a, a different assignment and a different identity. Grace did that. That's grace. Say it again. That's grace. That's grace. And the Bible says here in the book of Ephesians, it's the gift of God. In the book of Romans chapter four, let me read it to you. You can turn there if you want to. In Romans chapter four, 
It says in verse 1, What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. Debt. He who works, if you work for somebody at the end of the day or the end of the week or the end of the two weeks, they owe you something. Somebody say amen to that. (laughs) If you work for it, then until they pay you, they're indebted to you. Why? Because of the work you did for it. But he's saying when it comes to God, Abraham believed God. In other words, God accounted this man as righteous, but it wasn't for the works. If it was for the works, then God would have owed him righteousness. But God was not in debt to this man, nor has God ever been in debt to any man. That's why he said in verse four, now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. Have you ever stopped to wonder why the New Testament goes back to this Old Testament guy, Abraham, to try to preach to you and to me what has happened in and through Jesus? It's like, why are we going back in time to try to describe what just happened? Well, think about it. And it goes on and explains it in verse 13. He said, the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So Paul is writing to these people, many of which have been under a law system for so long. And man, that thing loomed heavy over them. The the Hebrew people, the Bible says, lived all their lifetimes in subject, in bondage to fear. Fear of what? Fear that if I mess up, God's going to squish me. I'm going to get zapped. I'm going to get knocked out. I mean, there's, there's this constant fear because of what sin does and how it separates you from God. So it was this constant working for it and working for it and working for it. And Paul's preaching. He's going, man, I gotta, I gotta try to get across to you what's just happened in Jesus. So I'm going to take you back to a time when there was no law. When the only thing that was between God and man was God's love for man and man's faith in that love. Nothing else between them. And he's saying, that's what's happened through Jesus. That's what Jesus has accomplished. So God doesn't owe you anything based on your works. He doesn't owe you anything, but he's given you everything. What is that? That's grace. That's grace. Now, I could take a quick survey in here. Would there be anybody that would raise a hand that that would say at your salvation experience, it happened when God came knocking on your door and looked at you and said, wow, impressive. I'm telling you what, man, you, you are amazing. You have kept all my laws. You've kept all my rules, all 600 and whatever of them. You hadn't missed a beat. I am impressed. And as a matter of fact, I owe you some salvation. Ushers, help me. Do we have any hands raised? No. Why? Because God didn't owe you anything, but he gave you everything. That's grace. He even said, back up just a little bit and talking about 
David in verse 5. To him who does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Verse 7, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. That's grace. That's grace. And David, standing in the office of the prophet, looking into our lifetime, he said, you're blessed. You are blessed is the man, blessed is the woman who's living in that day, living in that age where God doesn't impute sin. God doesn't hold sins against them. God counts them righteous, not because of what they've done, but because of what they believe. And David's going, lucky. I mean, seriously, he's looking into the future going, oh, that's the blessed one. You know that verse we like to quote? This is the day the Lord's made. I'll rejoice and be glad in it. That's Psalm 118. Go back and look at it. Every verse around it is prophetic of Jesus coming, Jesus coming, Jesus coming. And in the middle of that, David said, that's the day. That's the day the Lord's made. Folks, he wasn't talking about Tuesday, okay? You can rejoice in Tuesday. That's great. But he's talking about a day. And if you look up that word day, it literally means an age. David is looking into the future going, that's the day when God doesn't hold anything, doesn't hold man's sins against him. They're forgiven. They're washed away. That's the day the Lord's made. That's the day I'll rejoice. That's the day I'll be glad. We live in, in that day. This is that day, the day of grace, this age of grace, living in a time where there's nothing between us and God anymore. It's been dealt with. It's been covered. It's been paid for. What is that? Somebody help me out. What is that? That's grace. That's grace. And we're saved by it. And I think grace was a real calculated risk on God's part. I think when he decided to, to send Jesus to fulfill that law and to remove from over the head of man this, this looming punishment, this looming condemnation, I imagine the angels of heaven said, you're doing what now? I mean, if you take away the, the fear of punishment, these people are going to go crazy. These people are going to go nuts. And I think it was a real calculated risk that instead of making you pay for it, he put it on Jesus. I think it was a risk that day when Jesus was preaching and the religious leaders brought that woman. They said they'd caught in adultery and threw her down in the midst and said, Moses in his law said that we're supposed to stone this one. What do you say? And you remember what happened? Jesus knelt down. He's, he's riding on the ground. What's he doing? He's waiting. Waiting for an answer because it's not just this woman's life that hangs in the balance. It's yours. It's mine. 
because they came to him with the full force of that law. And this is a trap because if he breaks this law, we've got him. And the truth is they're right because he didn't come to break the law. He came to fulfill the law. And now all of a sudden it seems like two bad options. Either I, either I break the law and lose the trust of these people who've been drawn to him by his kindness and his mercy and his compassion. And, and he says, okay, well stoner. And now they leave confused because now all of a sudden this guy is just like these hard hearted religious people we've known our entire lives. Nothing different about him. But right on the other hand, if he says, don't stone her, then we've broken the law. And if he breaks the law, this whole thing is over. He's no longer the sinless, spotless lamb of God. He has broken the law. What do you do? You want to know what you do? Play in the dirt <laughs> until you get a word from God. And you don't care how long it takes. You don't care about the pressure because the Bible said they stood over him and kept asking him, what do you say? What do you say? What do you say? Pressing him, looking for an answer. And he's just down there writing, waiting on a word from God. And I don't know how long it was. Probably felt like an eternity if to nobody else but that woman. But then he had it. He got it. He stood up and he came up with option C. And nobody ever even knew existed. And he said, he who's among you without sin, let him throw the first stone. And then those guys in a, in a brief moment of honesty, turned around, dropped the rocks and walked away. And Jesus looked up at that woman and he said, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And he said, neither do I condemn you. Amen. Go and sin no more. Now, there was only one person out there that day who had any right to pick up a stone and throw it at her. There was only one without sin. But you know what he did instead? He said, neither do I condemn you. What a risk, huh? Because he just said to her, he just said to everybody standing there watching this whole thing go down. And he just said to you and to me, I'm not condemning you for that. I imagine there's people going, well, you just given her a license to go do it. Man, Jesus, you're really going out on a limb. You're really going out on a limb here. You're going to let people go. People are going to think they got a license to sin. I think God knew the risk he was taking. As a matter of fact, Jesus didn't just go out on a limb. He got nailed to the tree. And it was a risk. It was a real calculated risk. But with every risk, there is reward. And that's what convinces somebody to take a risk. They consider the reward. What's the reward that God considered here? I understand that. I understand that if I give them grace, they may take it, go crazy with it. I get it. But there will be those who know how much they've been forgiven. And those who are forgiven much, I believe the reward is they will love much. And the reward he saw on the other side of the risk of grace was that you and I wouldn't run from him, 
but run to him. That we'd be drawn by his love and drawn by his mercy, drawn by compassion himself. Thank you, Lord. That's grace. That's grace. And it's good news, isn't it? It's good news that we've been saved by grace. But can I give you, if I can say this, even better news? You think of better news? Better news than grace. I'm going to read you something from Scripture that I guarantee you is the best news you've heard all day. James chapter 4. In verse 6, put this on the screen for us. I want everybody to see it. Just look at these first few words here. But he gives more grace. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. Are you kidding me? More grace? Well, I thought, I thought the grace of God was the greatest. And it's all oh, that is good news. You, you were dead, but he, he, he raised you up. That's good news, right? He didn't have to do it, but he did it. He, he could have thrown, thrown the stone at you, but he didn't. He could have nailed you to the cross, but he didn't. Instead, he went. That's good news. And if there's any better news than that, it's this. There's more of it. Oh, come on. Listen, church. There's more of it. There's more of it. More what? More of that grace. And the reason I say this is because sadly, most people never go any deeper in the grace of God than what happened to them on their day of salvation. We're, you say, tell me about the grace. Oh, we're saved by it. Saved by grace. And people got that, don't they? We're saved by grace. I don't care what denomination you're in, what church you're a part of, or what corner of the world you are stuck in. If you ask somebody about grace, I guarantee you we'd all agree we've been saved by it. Thank God for his grace. Why? Because he saved us with it. He saved us by it. And that's good. And that's right. But guess what? Check it out. There's more. There's more. More. Matter of fact, I think the title of this message today is There's More Where That Came From. Because the same grace that we were saved by is the grace we're supposed to live by. But when you fail to realize that there is a grace for life, not just a grace for salvation, but more grace. And a grace for life, a grace to live by. If you don't realize that and your understanding of grace stays small, then essentially what you're saying to the Lord is, thanks for saving me. I'll take it from here. Thank you. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for going to the cross. Thanks for dying for me. I so appreciate it. See you in heaven. Because if you fail to live by the grace that's available for life, then there's this this whole world of grace you're never tasting of, you're never seeing, but the same grace that saved you is the grace that you and I are supposed to live by. There's more grace. He gives more grace. He gives more grace. This is why you see in places in scripture where Paul wrote and said, abound in this grace also. Abound in this grace. He talked about the manifold grace of God. It's not just one thing. Now, if all you ever knew was that grace saved you, thank God for that. That's enough to make you happy. That's enough to put a smile on your face. I'm not going to hell, thank God. 
That's enough to be excited about. I'm spending eternity with Jesus. Thank you, Lord. But somebody help me. Is there more? Oh, there's more. There's more grace. There's more where that came from. Go to the book of Acts. I'm getting excited. Acts chapter 4. Somebody say, there's more. There's more more grace. He gives more grace. In Acts chapter 4, look with me down around verse 32. Acts chapter 4 verse 32 says, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. Verse 33, and with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And this statement here, and great grace was upon them all. Say that last statement with me. And great grace was upon them all. I have fallen more in love with the book of Acts since we have started this church than I ever have before. I love this book because it's our church. We are finding ourselves in this book. This is, people call it the early church. It's the same church, folks. This is the church we're a part of. And by the time you get to Acts 4, You look back a little bit, chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, there were some marvelous, miraculous, amazing things happening in this church. I mean, Acts chapter one, you have some of the last words that Jesus said to his disciples as he was ascending to the father. And he said, the Holy Spirit is coming on you, glory to God, and you will receive power. You're going to be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria and to the other parts of the earth. He said, go wait. So in chapter two, guess what they did? They went and waited. Acts 2. Acts 2. Small wars have been fought over Acts chapter 2. But we are. I said we are an Acts 2 church. Because in Acts chapter 2, there's about 120 or so all huddled up in this room upstairs. And uh, they're sitting there praying and doing what Jesus said. Waiting. Waiting. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, there comes a sound as of a rushing, mighty wind. It filled that room where they were waiting. And the Bible says it appeared unto them as divided tongues of fire that sat on them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Don't freak out on me. We're an Acts 2 church. I said, we're an Acts 2 church. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak with other tongues. But it didn't stop there. These guys got so full of the Holy Ghost, they came stumbling drunk out of that upper room. And everybody around them started hearing them and seeing them and said, these brothers are drunk. And Peter said, we're drunk, but it ain't like you think. It's way too early for that. He said, we have been filled with the Holy Ghost. And everybody started hearing. And they said, what is this? We're hearing in our own language. So you decide, where's the miracle taking place? Is it in the one speaking or is it in the one hearing? 
That's just something to think about. But they're hearing each in their own language. And Peter, now filled with the Holy Spirit, begins preaching to these people. And he preached and he preached and he preached with power and he preached with boldness. And before you get to the end of the chapter, this group that was 120 now has 3,000 people added to it. 3,000 in a day. That's chapter two. Then you get to chapter three. And Peter and John are just going to church and there's that man that was lame who'd been laid there every day. And he looks up at Peter and John and he says, alms. He looked up at him and the Bible said, expecting to receive something from him. And Peter looked at him and said, sorry, brother, I left my wallet at home today, but what I do have, what I do have, come on, help me. What I do have, what does he have? We're in Acts three. As of Acts two, what is it he's now got? The, the power of the Holy Spirit living in him. And he says, what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Get up and walk. And he grabbed that brother by the hand, didn't even give him an option. Picked him up and the Bible says immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And this man who had been lame from his mother's womb, who was over 40 years old, went walking and leaping and praising God. And yeah, man, it drew a crowd and these people are going, it's, it's the, he's the, he's up, he's running, he's leaping. And Peter, people start coming to Peter and Peter says, why are you looking at me? Why are you looking at me like I did this? It was Jesus and in the name of Jesus that this man has received his wholeness. And here comes that boldness again. Here comes that power to preach all over again. And two more thousand people are added to this church. So now this church has 5,120 people coming to church. And it stirs up this hornet's nest of religious people. They don't like it, so they grab these preachers and throw them into prison, leave them there overnight. The next day they come back and they threaten them severely, it says. Don't preach in that name. Don't you preach in that name. Shut up. Start, stop preaching that name. We don't want this spreading any further. You stop preaching in the name. And Peter said, I'm sorry. I can't but say the things that we have seen. I'm not a liar. I'm a witness. What did Jesus say? The power is coming on you to be a witness. And Peter goes back. The Bible says, I love it. He goes back. They go back to their own company. Man, you got to have a company. You got to have a family. You got to have a people, a group of people that you can go back to. And they said there in the book of Acts, they began to pray and praise and worship the Lord. And they said, Father, look on their threatenings and grant us boldness. That's a little different than how you and I might pray, huh? Father, look on their threatenings and break their knees. <laughs> look on their threatenings and kill them. Not all of them, Lord, just a couple so that the rest know. But what did Peter pray? Look on their threats and give us boldness. Because we're going to keep preaching this. We're going to tell what we've seen. We're going to preach it. We're going to preach it. We're going to preach it. All this has happened in this church and you come to Acts chapter four where we just read and what did it say? With great boldness or excuse me, with, uh, with great power. Verse 33, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace 
was on them all. How do you sum up Acts 1, 2, 3, 4, and beyond? You sum it up like this. Grace. The grace was on them. Jesus said, the Spirit's coming on you. What is that? That's grace. Well, I thought grace was salvation. Yes. I thought grace was the, the gift of salvation that you couldn't earn. Absolutely. But if you couldn't earn salvation, what makes you think you can earn the Holy Ghost? Huh? And there are people that think they have to. They don't realize and recognize it's the same free gift. Just receive it. The Spirit of God's coming on you. And He's coming on you with power. Because you've worked so hard. Because you've performed and man, you've kept all the rules and all the law. No. Why? It's grace. You couldn't earn it. So quit trying. And just receive. Receive the power. He said, the Spirit's coming on you. And then in chapter two, the Spirit came on them just like he said it would. And they began to speak with other tongues. Why? Huh? Because they earned that gift. Why? Because, because God's a respecter of persons and, and this one can have it, but that one can't. No, it's grace. It's grace. And Peter preached with power. Where'd he get that? All his study? Huh? All those years at seminary? All the doctorates in theology that he possessed? No, he ain't got any of that. As a matter of fact, that's what the, the first thing the religious people recognized. These are untrained men. And the Bible says they could tell they'd been with Jesus. Are they saying that about you? Are they saying that about me? Man, he's been with Jesus. She's been with Jesus. It wasn't his education. I'm not knocking education, but you cannot earn the power to preach the gospel. You cannot earn the anointing to preach and declare the gospel. It's grace. Somebody say it. That's grace. So you've got the grace that saved them, but guess what? There's more. There's more where that came from. And it wasn't just a grace that saved them. It was grace that filled them with the Holy Ghost. It was grace that anointed them to preach the gospel. It was grace that, that came on them and in them to respond to people's threats and ask for boldness. It was grace. You know what? It didn't stop there. It said, great grace was on them all. And it goes on in the very next verse. Great grace was on them all, verse 34. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked. There wasn't anyone among them who lacked. There was no lack in the church. There was no lack in the church. Am I in a church this morning? This church, there was no lack in the church. This is our church. We're finding ourselves in the word. It's telling us about this church. They were full of the Holy Ghost. They preached with power and there was no lack in the church. Why? Because everybody had great high paying jobs. Because everybody had four-year college degrees that earned them six-figure incomes and gave big in the offering. No! Why, did, why was there no lack in the church? 
great grace. Great grace was on the preacher. Hmm? Great grace, the Bible said, was on the ministers. Great grace was on the leadership. Huh? Great grace was on a few handpicked by God. Great grace was on them all. All of them. Every one of them. From the least to the greatest, grace was on them. Yeah, I know. They were all born again. No, 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 no. There's more. There's more. Great grace was on them. That should tell us just the word itself, great. That if, you know, grace was grace, why do you need the word great? Because if there's great grace, I guess there could be a little bit of grace. There could be a little bit more of grace. There could be quite a bit of grace. Or you and I could be walking in great grace. Great grace. You want to know what this word translated great is in the Greek? Megas. M-E-G-A-S. Megas. Guess what word we get from that? Good, boys and girls. Mega. You know what the Bible calls this? How to describe what was going on in that church? Mega grace. Mega grace. There was so much grace on these people. So full of the Holy Ghost. So full of the anointing and the power of God. So full of love. This move of love among them where they were just given to each other and you couldn't make them stop. And Oh, you've got this need. Well, well I got two of those here. Huh? Oh, I, I see you didn't have that. Look, I, I you ha have mine. Take mine. What is that? Obligation? Pressure? No, it's grace. It's grace at work. And it got so out of hand, if you will, that nobody lacked anything. And there was nobody standing up going, you go sell that, bring it to me, I'll give it to them. You go sell that. There was no pressure. There was no obligation. There was nobody telling anybody what to do. It was just great grace. Great grace. And I think this is what the Lord wants to talk to us about over the next several weeks is growing in grace. Growing in grace. And we're going to have to deepen and allow him to deepen our understanding of what grace is, what grace does. And we're going to add to that foundational layer. We're saved by grace, but we also live by it. There's a grace. There's a grace. There's a grace for that. Have you heard that expression? There's an app for that. Well, there's a grace for that. Whatever it is, there's a grace for that. Moms, listen, there's a grace for that. And I can just see it in my heart. I can see those among us, uh, maybe moms with children at home, and you just feel like it's too much. You feel uh, overwhelmed. You feel overburdened. Listen to me. There's a grace. There is a grace that comes along and lifts up. There's a grace that strengthens. There's a grace that carries. What would your life look like with more grace in it, huh? What would, how would life change with a little more of the grace?
Yeah, but I don't know if God wants me to have that. He gives more grace. He gives more grace. Don't turn there, but the Bible says this in the book of uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8. Paul was talking about the thorn in the flesh. He said, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my strength is made perfect in weakness. So there you can see that the grace of God is the strength of God. Can you see that? Can you see the connection? God's grace is God's strength. And I don't care what area of life you're talking about, you run out of your strength in a hurry. Because the truth is, whether you're talking about salvation or daily living, you're not enough. You and I, we are not enough on our own. Just like you were not enough to save you. You couldn't do it. You were way too weak to save yourself. You could not do it. You needed the strength of God Almighty. It's only by His strength that we're saved. But I don't care if you're talking about the strength to save you from hell or the strength to, to, to overcome things in this life or the strength to handle what have looked like impossible situations. There's strength for that, but you will run out of your own strength in a hurry. You run out of physical strength quickly. I don't care what you bench press. We can find something bigger than you. We can find something stronger than you. I don't care how educated you are, how many years and how many degrees and how much experience. We can find something that's smarter than you. I don't care how financially, quote unquote, strong you are, how many millions upon millions are in the bank. We can find the end of that strength in a hurry. Oh, but when the grace when the strength of God comes up under you, the strength of God lifts you up. Man, I have sensed it. I've experienced some of it before. I have, I have experienced preaching in and by myself, and it's horrible. I cannot stand it. It bores me. I can't imagine how the people listening must feel. But I've also experienced the grace of God, the anointing of God coming on it, coming on me, coming out in the words, that's strength. That's not my own strength because in and of myself, I am not enough, but I'm not in and of myself. He gives more grace. So his grace is his strength. The book of Hebrews says in chapter four, verse 16, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. So God's grace is his strength. God's grace is his help. It's his help. Man, I could use his help. Anybody else? His help means his support. We're going to talk about this in the coming weeks, but grace, grace can be frustrated. Remember when Paul said that? I, I do not frustrate the grace of God. We'll get into this some, but there is nothing more frustrating than watching somebody else do what you're good at. You know what I'm talking about? Watching somebody try to do, maybe that's the better way to say it. Nothing more frustrating than watching somebody else try to do what you're good at. And they're fumbling around with it and they're making a mess out of it and you're watching it and you just can't take it anymore. So you come and you say, please, for the love of all that's holy, stop. <laughs> Let me 
do that for you. You don't even have to pay me. You stopping is payment enough for me. Allow me. And they look back at you and say, no, it's cool. I got it. Frustrating, right? What's so frustrating about it? They wouldn't receive the help, the help. And we've already seen that this church had great grace on it. And the evidence was the infilling of the Holy Spirit, who is the helper. We need help. I said, we need help. But that's the grace of God. That's the grace of God. And learning to recognize it. This is where I want to go sometime in the next, I don't know when we'll get to it. But learning to recognize, hey, that's grace. That's the grace helping me. That's the grace picking me up. That's great. I couldn't do that on my own. I couldn't do that yesterday. I didn't know the answer yesterday. I couldn't figure it out before, but now I know. Now I can. And being quick to recognize that's grace. And when you see it, say it. Say it out loud. Oh man, that's the grace of God. That was the grace of God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And we'll talk about this soon as well. But if it was his grace, then who should get the glory? His grace should get the glory. In other words, when somebody sees something in you, wow, that was amazing. You did great. Who gets the glory for that? Now, I'm not talking about falling all over yourself in some stupid, phony way, but just acknowledging God is so good. Praise God for his grace. Grace is helping me. Grace is strengthening me. His grace, his glory. So his grace is his strength. His grace is his help. And I'll say this and be done. His grace, like we've already read in Ephesians, is a gift. And this is how you begin to recognize grace when you see it. It's anything that comes as a gift from God to you through Jesus. That's grace. So how did salvation come? As a gift, right? Remember, God didn't owe you. God wasn't paying you. He was not in debt to you. It came as a gift. So if it comes as a gift from God to you through Jesus, you ought to immediately know, oh, that's grace. I recognize that. That's grace. What about this gift of the Holy Spirit? How did that come? You paid for it. You earned it. You sweat for it and God was impressed with your much tarrying. No, it was a gift. But specifically how? How did this gift come to you and to me? From God to you through Jesus. That's what makes it grace. You know what the Bible says? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What does that say? Victory. Come on, listen. Victory is grace. When you have been up against it and you've been wrestling with it for days, weeks, months, years, decades, and you've never been able to overcome some, some sin, some addiction, some heavy weight that's been hanging on to your life, and you start learning how to receive and increase and grow in the grace of God and you get victory over that, that's grace. That's grace lifting you up. That's grace carrying you. 
When you've looked at an impossible situation and you've been staring down the barrel of something that somebody said, this cannot be done. You've asked every banker, you've asked every lawyer, you've asked every doctor and they've said, no way, can't be done. And then you go to the word of God and you find out that all things are possible with him who believes and all things are possible with God. And all of a sudden this grace comes up underneath you. It strengthens you. It enables you. It anoints you. It helps you. It sustains you. And all of a sudden what was impossible. Now all of a sudden you're up over it. You've conquered it. You've got victory over that thing. What is that? What is that? That's grace. So when it happens, what do you do? Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Yes, I am very smart. Yes, I have much experience and I'm, I'm very able. No, you point at it and you go, that's grace. That's grace. That's grace. That's grace. Thank you, Lord. Stand up on your feet. The grace of God. We're going to get excited together about the grace of God. Lift up your hands and just begin to thank him for it. Thank you for your grace, O oh Lord. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your grace. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. There's more. There's more available. And the Bible says, this is what we'll look at together in the weeks to come. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 17, he said, You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfast, steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked, Look at these words, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grow in it. Being born again and saved by grace. Thank God for it. But there's more. There's more. So we're going to have to grow in it. You know, the Bible said that from the time he was a, a little boy, the grace of God was on Jesus. And we know that as a 12-year-old, he was growing in wisdom, growing in stature, and in favor with God and man. That same word translated favor is the word translated grace. What was going on in Jesus' life all those years from 12 to 30? That's all. It's mysterious. You know, we don't know. Yeah, we do. He was growing in grace. Growing in grace and growing in grace and growing in grace and growing in grace and increasing in grace and growing in it and growing in it and growing in it till you get to John chapter one, where it says the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glories of the only begotten of the father, full, full of grace and truth. The Amplified says abounding in it. That's full and overflowing with it. And that's why John said, and we have received from that grace, grace upon grace upon grace. You know what that is? Layers. Yeah, I know you've had a taste of it, but guess what? Come on, help me church. There's more. There's more. And we are headed for a day in this church. How do you sum up every good thing God's doing at Legacy? Huh? How do you sum up? the growth? How do you sum up the people being full of the Holy Ghost? How do you sum up this giving that they do to each other? Huh? How do you sum up the fact that these people don't lack for nothing? 
You just say, well, they got mega grace over there. They got mega grace over at that church. They'll say the same thing about your house. There's a mega grace on this house. There's a mega grace on this family. Anybody else interested in some mega grace? We'll lift up your hands and thank the Lord for it. Just say it out loud. Father, we ask you in Jesus name for an outpouring of your grace. Thank you for the grace that we're saved by. Thank you for the grace that you filled us with, filled us with the Holy Ghost. Thank you for the grace that supplies for us, that meets every need. By your grace, we will grow in it. We will increase in it. And people will look at our lives. People will look at this church and they will say, there is great grace on them all. There is great grace on them all. Now lift up your hands and thank the Lord for it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the great, mega, increasing grace that we are growing in, in this church and in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY in any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.